You are listening to The Stender with Rabbi Michael Knopf, a Jcast Network podcast. For more information about Rabbi Knopf, please visit MikeKnopf.com. For more information about the other Jcast Network podcasts and blogs, please visit jcastnetwork.org. I want to spend some time together over the next few weeks unpacking several takeaways from my time in Israel and in general talking about our relationship to the Jewish state and the Zionist dream, hopefully rekindling the flames of our love for Israel and also raising some challenges that will help us develop a more adult connection. During the course of my trip, speaker after speaker across the political, ideological, and even ethnic spectrum raised the question in one way or another of what we mean when we say that Israel is a Jewish state. On the surface, the term is simple. Israel is to be a sovereign nation of the Jews, by the Jews, and for the Jews. In other words, it's to be a state comprised of a Jewish population that is governed by Jews in a manner informed by Jewish values and culture. Upon reflection, however, despite the frequent insistence of Israeli and some American Jewish leaders for Israel to be recognized by everyone, and especially by its enemies, as a Jewish state, the issue isn't so simple. It raises questions like, how does a Jewish state, so defined, relate to non-Jewish populations living within its borders? Who gets to determine the definition of Jewish both in terms of who is accepted as a Jew vis-a-vis citizenship and what forms of Judaism are to be given equal status under the law. What does it mean for a state to have a Jewish character? Does character refer to ethnic constitution, culture, ethics, or religion? Some combination of those qualities, or all of the above? And who gets to decide what does or does not constitute Jewish character? Early Zionist leaders from Herzl to Achad Ha'am debated this very question. And my mission affirmed that the conversation remains ongoing, with no easy answers. For some of the speakers with whom we met, to be a Jewish state means primarily to be a safe haven for imperiled Jews everywhere or to be a state with a permanent Jewish majority, or to be a state governed by Jewish law. For others, it means to advance the sometimes radical propositions of Jewish ethics in the most challenging of contexts, namely, when the Jewish people is more powerful than it perhaps has ever been at any other time in its history. Still others offered... That to be a Jewish state is by definition to be an open and raucous democracy inspired by the values of debate and interpretation at the core of Jewish tradition. Through my experiences on the trip, I began to realize that there is at least one other way of understanding what it means for Israel to be a Jewish state. And I offer it not to oppose any of the above definitions or any other definition for that matter but rather to stand as one of many possible ways of understanding the nature of the Zionist project and what we have built. To be a Jewish state is to be a country driven by a refusal to accept the status quo, to be comfortable with the existing order, 
an insistence to challenge and push in order to perfect what is not yet in line with a vision of the world as it ought to be. Throughout my journey, I saw this impulse, this quality, emerge on the forefront to the forefront again and again, so much so that I began to see it as perhaps the defining feature of Israel and Israelis. I saw it when I prayed with women of the wall. The women of the wall are agitators. They're dedicated to challenging the orthodox monopoly on Judaism's holiest site, making the Western Wall a space where Jewish women can worship however they choose, including wearing prayer shawls, prayer shawls, and praying and reading from the Torah collectively and out loud. I stood with a group of supportive men behind a partition at the back of the women's section of the wall, which was itself distanced from the women's section to prevent us from passing a Torah scroll to the women of the wall group worshiping in front of the divider. As I stood with the other male supporters, we were surrounded by another group of agitators. A gaggle of ultra-Orthodox men, from my perspective, venomous and hate-filled, stood around us, spewing insults, denying our Jewishness, and doing everything possible to disrupt and drown out our prayer and provoke us into confrontation. A smaller but still quite vocal group of ultra-Orthodox women, agitators too, stood closer to the Women of the Wall prayer group and attempted to do the same. I was inspired by the courage and passion of hundreds of women and men who were willing to, stand, to withstand indignities and threats in order to advance a vision of a more inclusive Jewish state, where men and women, regardless of their approach to Judaism, are free to worship however they choose at Judaism's holiest site. This, to me, is a deeply Jewish expression of indignation and yearning, a striving for the soul of the Jewish state. And though I vehemently disagree with their views and their cause, the counter-protests also struck me as deeply Jewish for similar reasons, as they reflect reflected a refusal to stand idly by when something you perceive as evil is taking place. I saw it when I visited the Rachel border crossing, the only point near Bethlehem where West Bank Palestinians can cross over into Israel. Now, whatever your views are of the Israeli-Palestinian conflict, about the relative costs and benefits to the security barrier and restricted Palestinian travel, and believe me, I know that the issue is incredibly complex, it is hard to deny that the Rachel border, the Rachel border crossing, is on a purely human level a painful place to visit evoking as it does in its concrete, barbed wire, and chain-link construction a sort of prison into which thousands of people have to crowd on a daily basis just to get to and from work or to visit family on the other side of the border. And while there are certainly places around the world where human rights violations are more egregious, Israelis across the political spectrum wrestle with the indignities Palestinians have to endure at crossings like this as a price of their security. 
Of course, there are many on the Israeli political left who rail against these alleged violations, either to alleviate the proximate cause, the crossings themselves, or to push Israel to resolve the root cause, namely the conflict. But the agitation is not limited to liberals. We met one Israeli, a right-wing academic, policy advisor, and former IDF commando, who founded an organization called Blue and White Human Rights, whose goal is to ensure that Palestinian rights at border crossings, while simultaneously supporting the soldiers who guard the crossings and Israeli security policy vis-a-vis -vis the Palestinians. This, too, is a deeply Jewish expression of striving, someone who could easily have accepted the status quo and yet refused. I saw it when we met, when we met with the leader of the settler movement, who agitates against significant domestic and international pressure for increased Jewish presence in, in, in greater Israeli control of the West Bank. And I saw it when, in the dizzying span of a couple of hours, we met with the leader of Shalom Achshav, Peace Now, one of the main organizations agitating, despite the position of the current governing coalition, for Israeli withdrawal from the West Bank, the dismantling of the settlements, and forging of a negotiated peace with the Palestinians. I saw it when we met with leaders of the Israeli LGBT community, leaders of the Ethiopian community, and leaders of the Israeli Arab community, all of them agitating for greater understanding, inclusion, and equality. Israel may be the Middle East's only democracy, but like all democracies, including our own, it is not perfect, and Israelis, perhaps in this way unlike their American counterparts who are much more passive, are ill-suited to simply accept the status quo without a fight. And without getting too political, I saw it in the immediate aftermath of the announcement of the Iran deal, where virtually no Israeli I met, whether they were for or against the deal, and in fairness, many more Israelis are against the deal than are for it expressed no ambivalence and minced no words about their feelings. Both those for and those against did not hesitate to agitate. Through it all, I began to consider whether agitation itself was the quality that makes the Jewish state Jewish. If you've ever met a Jew, especially a hungry Jew, you probably know that deep down the answer to that question is at least partially yes. We are not, nor have we ever been, a people content with things as they are. And we have never been timid about advocating our vision of the world as it might be. This trait has been passed on to us from our earliest ancestors, from Abraham, who railed against God's decree to destroy Sodom and Amorah, to Rebekah, who far from enduring her miraculous pregnancy in quiet gratitude, cried out to God with not a little bit of holy chutzpah, in ken lamaze if so, then why do I exist? to Moses, who insisted that God was wrong in choosing him as a leader, and then time and again went to the mats with the Holy One in order to save his Israelite flock, to the Israelites themselves who cried out to God because of their oppression at the hands of the Egyptians and slavery, railing for their liberation, 
to the Hebrew prophets who never relented in demanding that the Jewish people live up to their highest ideals of compassion, justice, and peace. And the Zionist movement itself was not unsurprisingly energized by this impulse. As Abraham Joshua Heschel put it in the 1960s, we are tired of expulsions, of pogroms. We have had enough of extermination camps. We are tired of apologizing for our existence. If I should go to Poland or Germany, every stone, every tree would remind me of contempt, hatred, murder, of children killed, of mothers burned alive, of human beings asphyxiated. When I go to Israel, every stone and every tree is a reminder of hard labor and glory, of prophets and psalmists, of loyalty and holiness. The Jews go to Israel not only for physical security for themselves and their children. They go to Israel for renewal, for the experience of resurrection. A rejection of what is, a vision of what might be, and a commitment to doing whatever is necessary to bridge the gap. That is what makes Israel a Jewish state. And the same agitas courses through every Jew's veins. It's who we are and who we can be. This quality is not only a defining feature of Jewishness, but a core value as well. At the beginning of our Parsha this week, Moses recalls God's instructing the Israelites while encamped at Sinai, you have stayed long enough at this mountain. Start and make your way to the hill country of the Amorites. Many of the Hasidic masters interpret this passage as a spiritual rather than a geographical directive. Do not be content with the way things are. Don't get complacent. Always be on the move. Always strive to grow. Always be pushing for personal and social improvement and transformation. The world as it is, is broken. Don't just sit there while it's in pieces. Get up and strive to put it back together. God's instruction calls us back to the core of who we are and who we are called to be. Israel reminds us that to be a Jew is to be perpetually unsatisfied and always agitating to make things better. As we prepare tonight to celebrate Tisha B'Av, to commemorate Tisha B'Av, the holiday, the holiday that reminds us of the brokenness of our world, let us, along with our brothers and sisters in Israel, recommit to moving forward from this mountain, from our world of stagnant and immobile injustice and disharmony to a world perfected through God's sovereignty. Shabbat Shalom. <laughs>